0: So I understand that you're doing a series at the moment called Vital Signs. Uh, who, who is, just to help me, who, who is not normally here on a Sunday? Who's a, who's a guest here today? Quite a few. Okay, so apparently, so for those of you who are here, apparently you're doing a series called Vital Signs, and uh, I'm going to speak about the subject of prayer and talk about prayer as priority. And feels, prayer is always relevant, but it feels particularly relevant today with some of the things that are going on, the things in the world, and to be honest, also things going on in my own life which make prayer very relevant. Uh, when we see what happened in Paris the other evening, what can you do other than, other than pray? When you see something of that kind of shock and horror. My oldest daughter's meant to be going on a school trip to Paris this week. Um, I'm guessing that school trip will be cancelled. I hope it's not. I think actually the best way to defeat the scumbags is to keep going to the places they want to destroy. So I hope the school trip doesn't get, get cancelled. I guess it probably will. Uh, but what can you do? You Pray. Or just on Friday, uh, Howard and I, a friend of ours who's been in ministry a long time and someone who we've looked to as a leader, we just found out that he's had to step out of leadership because of some mistakes that he's made in his life, what do you do then? Well, you pray, pray for him and his family and for his church and uh, in my own family there's been some particular stresses over the last few days, what do you do, Well, do you pray and in my church have been some uh, tricky situations I've been handling over the last few days and what you need to do is to, is to pray. Prayer is the natural response. Prayer is a vital sign. It's a sign of life and it's a sign of our need of God. And so I want to talk this morning about prayer, prayer as priority, and hopefully encourage those of you who are part of this church to pray and pray together and expect God to work amongst you as you pray. And for those who like me are visiting today, hopefully this will be relevant and helpful for you as well. Um, first thing, reality check. I'm going to talk about a number of reality checks. Reality check number one prayer can be difficult. Have you ever found that? It's not just me, is it? I hope. It's not just me. Prayer can be difficult. I think there's a a universal human impulse to pray. When something bad happens, the natural response is to call out to God for help. And even those who don't really have any belief in God, or maybe even dismiss the whole concept of God, will often pray in some way, and that might be calling out just God, or it might be, God, if you're really there, will you help me? Or it might almost be a kind of the, the, the expletives and swear words that people let out in moments of crisis, which actually are a kind of prayer. It's a, I need some help. It's a universal human impulse. Um, Tim Keller, pastor in New York, says prayer is one of the most common phenomena of human life. And I think he's right. It's just a common phenomena of human life. Wherever you look across the world, different cultures throughout history, men and women pray. But that doesn't mean that prayer is always easy. Prayer is the most natural thing to do, but it can also be an extremely challenging thing to do. And if it wasn't challenging, why would the disciples have come to Jesus and said, teach us to pray? They're with Jesus all the time, they're seeing him pray and what it makes them more aware of is actually how difficult they find it to pray and say, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? Or on the nights when Jesus was facing his great trial before he was taken to be tried and then crucified when he was in the garden and he says to the disciples, pray for me. Why did they find it so difficult to pray? Why did Jesus have to come back and wake them up and say, look, the the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak? Prayer can be hard, even in times, perhaps especially actually in times of real pressure, where you just feel that kind of oppression. It can be hard to pray, to articulate our thoughts to God. And there's a real challenge actually in even teaching on this subject. Whenever I teach on prayer, we've just, we've just done a series on prayer at my church. And it's always very challenging to speak on the subject of prayer because it exposes so much in, the, in myself. And I can be aware myself of the lacks and the weaknesses of my own prayer life and connection with God something which is easy to talk about and can feel more difficult to do. We've got a church office and all the guys who together in the team, we combine our books into one library which we share and we've got a shelf and we've got titles on all the shelves of the different subject areas and we've got one shelf which is titled Prayer and Spiritual Disciplines and there's about five foot of books on that shelf about prayer and spiritual disciplines and as I was preparing this, looking at that shelf and thinking... Man alive! If I actually absorb five foot worth of books, then well, maybe I'd be a more effective prayer than I am. It's something which we can talk about, write books on. Not always necessarily easy to do. So let's just think about some of the things which make prayer challenging. First thing that can make prayer challenging is just the the way that our world thinks. We we live in a world where we have all kinds of assumptions. We're just shaped by the world we live in. Often we don't realise it. We're like fish. Fish doesn't realize it's swimming in water because it just lives in water, and we don't realize the water we're swimming in, and the world we live in can make it difficult to pray just because of the way the world thinks. We live in a world in our Western world where we tend to think scientifically, and we think of the universe as being kind of a closed system, which is Explicable. You can understand it if you get enough knowledge. If you can do enough maths and do enough research, you can understand why the world is as it is and why the universe is as it is. You can work out the physical processes and explain it. It's self-contained. And swimming in that kind of water, which most of the time we don't think about, but we're just in, we can have this, not even consciously, but subconsciously, this thought, sort of, well, how can prayer possibly have an effect in a physical world Universe where things are just the consequence of physical processes which are measurable, determinable. How can prayer affect that? We might not think that consciously. We might even reject that if we're Christians. But it's the water in which we swim, and it can affect our prayer. It can make us difficult. Make it difficult for us to pray. That that kind of assumption about a physical universe, our scientific assumptions, can make uh, give us actually all kinds of other wrong assumptions about prayer. Uh, lead to a kind of wrongheadedness when we think about prayer. You see this sometimes in, in scientific tests which are done to assess the effectiveness of prayer. Have you ever seen any of those where research is carried out as those who pray, what are their lifestyle outcomes compared to those who don't pray? Or they get a bunch of people in a lab and wire them up and see what happens to your brain when you pray compared to when you don't pray and, and try and measure prayer scientifically. And, and that reflects the, the water in which we swim culturally, but it's completely wrong-headed if prayer is what It actually is, which is connection with God. It's a kind of a mechanistic approach to something which is about spiritual connection with a real person. And so we can have these wrong-headed assumptions about prayer which make us doubt the power of prayer, just because of the world in which we live. A world where prayer, how on earth can that work? All the doubts that can cause us. A second reason why we might find prayer is difficult is that we can tend to see more as the spare wheel rather than the steering wheel. Now when you're in your car one wheel is really important that's the steering wheel. Without that you're not going to go anywhere. If you don't turn it you're not going to be able to move around. Without a steering wheel you're going to crash. And there's another wheel which is the spare wheel and you hope that you never have to use it. I don't even know where the spare wheel is in my car and I hope I never have to find out. You just don't want it. It's, it's there in case of emergency it's not there for regular use. Every time I get into the car, I use a steering wheel. Hopefully, I never have to use a spare wheel. And we can think of prayer, again, perhaps not consciously, but subconsciously, we can tend to view it more as a spare wheel than the steering wheel. It's, it's a good thing that it's there. We're really glad it's there, but man, I hope I never have to use it. It's a, prayer is a good thing to do, but... Ah. And so we can have much too low a view of prayer. It's almost like... Prayer is something that you do only in those moments of desperation. That when all else fails, as a bumper sticker says, pray. Like it's the last resort. When everything else has failed, then you get the spare wheel out. You get the prayer out and see if, well, maybe that will help if nothing else does. We can have much to a low, low view of prayer. We can tend to assume that we can handle life. And that prayer isn't really necessary. It's a spare wheel rather than the steering wheel. The third reason why we might find prayer difficult is that actually rather than having too low a view of prayer, we might have much too high a view of prayer. That we can get into the place of thinking, well, prayer, of course it's good, of course it's necessary, but it is difficult. And so prayer is something which we ought to leave to the professionals. And of course in previous cultures and parts of our history, uh, that has been very much the case where you know, prayer was delegated to professional religious class you left prayer to the monks and the nuns and the priests and they prayed for you and you'd pay them to pray for you and prayer is happening but thank god i don't have to do it myself Mm -hmm. and even in our world in our church we can have that kind of approach you might think well now this church here we've got elders at last after five years we've got three elders appointed thank goodness well the elders will pray we can leave it to them because they're the spiritual ones in the church or might be that Howard thinks, oh I don't have to pray because PJ Smythe prays, I can leave it to him, he's a really spiritual Christian and, and you can always look at somebody else who's kind of the really spiritual Christian, we leave prayer to them, it's, it's too difficult for us, I'm not, I'm not good enough to pray, I can't really, I, I'm bad at praying, I'll leave it to somebody who's a better Christian than I am, an outstanding Christian. Now in God's world it should feel the most natural thing in the world to call on the Lord. name of the Lord. God has made the world, it's just been natural for us, like breathing, calling on the name of the Lord, but we can have either too low a view of prayer, spare wheel rather than steering wheel, or too high a view of prayer. Leave it to the professionals who really know what they're doing. Ultimately, then, our problem with prayer is a problem of relationship. Prayer is difficult when we don't feel close to the one to whom we are praying, it's a relational problem fundamentally that problem comes because of human sin. It comes because of our exile from Eden. And you see this related in the story at the beginning of the Bible, in the book of Genesis, about what happens when sin comes into the world, that Adam and Eve, the first human beings, rebel against God, do what he's told them not to do, refuse to trust him, believe something else. And there's this kind of poignant and painful picture that is painted in the book of Genesis, in Genesis 3, where it says that God came into the garden, came into Eden to talk with the man and the woman, and they hide from him. There's that relational division that comes between human beings and God because of sin, that rather than talking freely, easily, naturally to God, the man and the woman hide from God. And ever since, what should seem... What should be natural and easy can feel very awkward, very clouded, talking to God. We know how it is in human relationships as well. Probably all of us have gone through times with people in our lives, people who we are meant to be close to, but some awkwardness comes in, something happens, some sin comes in maybe, some relational break, and talking to that person with whom it should be natural and easy to talk becomes awkward and clouded. Often happens with... uh, Teenage children, if you've been a teenager, or if you've got teenage children, you're, all of us can relate to this. It can become a point where there's an awkwardness in coming into the relationship. What should be natural and easy suddenly becomes difficult. And prayer can be like that. What should be most natural to us can become awkward, can become cloudy because of a problem with relationship. Also, prayer can feel difficult because, to be honest, it can just seem a bit bizarre that we're speaking to the invisible. Howard urged us a few minutes ago, let's all pray, let's speak out, let's speak loudly, let's pray. Mm. Who? Where? God, can't see you. And for us in our very physical world where we're used to stuff and people who are real and we can touch, talking to God can feel a bit strange. There's these difficulties, and I'm sure there's others you can think of as to why prayer is difficult. That's The first reality check. Second reality check is this prayer is about grace. Prayer is about grace. Prayer is difficult because of our distance from God. So, what we need is a work of God's grace that brings us back into fellowship with God. And this is a vital sign of. Life. It's not something we can manufacture ourselves, this vital sign of life. It's something which only God can do. It's a work of His grace that He brings us into relationship with Him so that our prayers don't feel awkward and clouded but feel close and real and fresh and intimate. And God's plan of salvation for us is intended to bring us back into that place of relationship, of communion and union with him, to bring us right back, to bring us back into the garden, to bring us back into his presence where we're not hiding from him in the bushes but where we're walking and talking with him. The plan of salvation isn't to bring us back just to church or, or religion, it's to bring us back to relationship with him, it's to bring us to our father's house. And again even as Christians we can get this wrong, we can kind of be off-centred in how we think about this, we think God wants us to pray, we come to church to pray, we come to religion in order to pray and do what is right before God. No, God wants to bring us into his house. Our Father wants relationship with us. We're brought into union with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, enabling us to come into God's presence again with the Spirit working in us and drawing us to our Father in heaven. It's about relationship, it's about friendship, it's a work of grace. You need to understand that prayer is about grace. The third reality check is that prayerlessness then if we don't pray prayerlessness becomes its own punishment if we don't pray if we don't seek God what we actually do is forfeit God's grace the ability to pray the vital sign of prayer is a work of God's grace in us if we then don't pray it's us saying I'm not going to receive the grace of God prayerlessness becomes its own punishment let's Turn to Scripture. I've been speaking 15 minutes the time we turn to Scripture. Jeremiah chapter 2. I'm just going to read from verses 4 to 8 in Jeremiah chapter 2. <coughs> the context of uh, this passage is that Jeremiah's a prophet and he's speaking and he's speaking warning and uh, lament over Jerusalem. Disaster has come upon Jerusalem at this time. The kingdom of Israel had been split into two parts for a long time. There was the northern kingdom of what was called Israel, which had already been swept away by the Assyrian Empire, and the southern kingdom of Judah was soon also to be swept away. And Jerusalem's in Judah, and Jeremiah's in Jerusalem, and he's prophesying, warning, and speaking of what God will do. And says this, Jeremiah 2, verse 4. (coughs) Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the clans of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, what wrong did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and went after worthlessness, and became worthless? They did not say, where is the Lord, who brought us up from the land of Egypt, who led us in the wilderness, in a land of deserts and pits, in a land of drought and deep darkness, in a land that none passes through, where no man dwells. And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and its good things. But when you came in, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination. The priests did not say, where is the Lord? Those who handled the Lord did not know me. The shepherds transgressed against me. The prophets prophesied by Baal and went after things that do not profit. Disaster is coming upon Israel, upon Jerusalem, upon Judah, and Jeremiah locates that disaster in their refusal to seek God. They didn't say, where is the Lord? They went after things that don't profit. They went after worthlessness and became worthless. Theologian P.T. Forsyth said, prayerlessness is the worst of all sins and the cause of all others. What we see is a vicious circle where a refusal to pray results in disaster coming and disaster coming results in further prayerlessness and further prayerlessness results in further disaster and that's what had happened to the nation of Israel at this time their refusal to seek God their refusal to accept God's grace their refusal to come into God's presence and enjoy him it led to their disaster and their disaster led to further rejection of God and his grace and the vicious circle went on until the end they were swept away and carried into exile and tragedy. God gave Israel wonderful things, but it says they defiled them. And the point here is not, it's not about how many hours we spend on our knees. Prayer isn't something which you can measure. Again, we mustn't get into a kind of mechanistic, scientific, Western approach. It's not about how many hours am I spending on my knees praying to God, but it's about the desire of our hearts, our desire to know God. The Old Testament, like Jeremiah's, full of many stories of people refusing to seek God and ending in disaster. There are also some encouraging stories in the Old Testament. The one person particularly who stands out as a man who sought God, who desired God, was David, King David. In Psalm 63, David writes, O God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. There are all kinds of things that went wrong in David's life. There are all kinds of things which he did wrong. But the verdict over David was not disaster. The verdict after David was he, he was the man after God's own heart. He was special and precious before God. And Why was that? That's because he earnestly desired God. He sought God. He loved God. His soul thirsted for God. Whenever we stop seeking God, that everything goes wrong. And so again and again in the Old Testament we... Come across stories like this one in Jeremiah, where again the people of God aren't saying "Where's God? I'm seeking Him." The people of God are saying, "Ah, we're not bothering with God, and pursuing things that don't profit." And we need to see here also how this is a corporate emphasis; it's a body emphasis. This isn't just about me or you personally praying. The emphasis here is upon us as the people of God. What was wrong for the people of God, as Jeremiah saw them and addressed them, it was because together. As a people, as a whole class, as a group, they had failed to seek God. Together they had rejected God's grace. And the church, we can do that as well. That, As a body, we can refuse the grace of God that is ours. We can forfeit it and fall into disaster. This isn't just about how long I'm spending on my knees. This is about how we together as a community are seeking God and thirsting after him and desiring him and pursuing him. And it's easy for churches to go after things that don't profit. That's what had happened. It had what happened to the people of Israel here. It happened what had happened to those who should have known better. It's what had happened to the shepherds, to the priests, to those who were meant to be spiritually attuned. They had rejected God. they hadn't sought Him. They'd gone after things that don't profit. And even in church, we can do that. We can pursue all kinds of things and lose our heart's desire for God. There's all kinds of things in church life which we can pursue which are good, but if we forget that actually the primary thing is desire for Jesus and his presence, to know his grace, to walk in fellowship with him, to know the reality of being invited into our Father's house, to know the presence of God with us by his Holy Spirit, if we forget that, then all the other things we do, good things, they don't profit. They're false and hollow and eventually will fall away. It's a reality check. Prayerlessness becomes its own punishment. Prayerlessness leads us into disaster. I don't really know you. I know Howard and Naomi very well, and and know about this church. And I've been praying for you for the last five years since this church started. But just a question: What? How is this vital sign in God First Church, Cheltenham? Prayer is a vital sign. What's it looking like at the moment? Fourth reality check is this, that God does want us to seek him. God wants us to seek him. Turn to the book of Acts, Acts 17. This is the account of the Apostle Paul in Athens, addressing the philosophers in the Areopagus. And uh, Paul talks about how God wants us in relationship with him. Acts 17, verse 24, it says... The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made for one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined a lot of periods and the boundaries of their dwelling's place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Seeking God is the magnetic north for humanity. It's the reason we were created. God made us to seek him. God made us to find him. God made us to know him. And this means that prayer is not meant to be intimidating. Because prayer is our natural calling as human beings. It's what we were made for. Fellowship with God. And it can feel intimidating. It can feel difficult because of the world that we live in and the pressures we face and because of how sin has drawn us away from God. But that's not how it's meant to be. The magnetic north for humanity is finding God. Being in fellowship with him. Talking with him. Praying to him. Think of a great example of prayer. Think of a great hero of prayer. Think about a man like Elijah. We told a story of Elijah, a great prophet in Israel who was mighty in prayer and had incredible power, did extraordinary things. We told how he prayed and it stopped raining and for years it did not rain. And then he prayed and rain came. He had power over the clouds. Wish that I had that kind of power to stop the rain. But it says in the book of James, the New Testament, talking about Elijah, it says, Elijah was a man just like us who prayed Elijah extraordinary man of prayer James actually he's just like us he was a man who prayed and Jesus taught us about how our relationship with God is meant to be it's not meant to be something that is intimidating alien distant awkward uncomfortable no Jesus talked about the relationship with God as being a relationship with father now, for some that can be a difficult metaphor and a difficult reality to embrace. If your own experience of father is difficult, if you had an absent or an abusive father, this can be a, a big hurdle to jump when Jesus talks about it this way. But the, the picture is of a healthy relationship, of a pure relationship, of an easy, of a comfortable, of a deli- delightful relationship between a father and his child, It's that kind of relationship Jesus says that we're called into, that we can call. God, that's why Jesus taught us to pray our Father, that we're called into this relationship of closeness, nearness, ease, friendship, intimacy with God. Father, we come to you. It's how it's meant to be. It means that prayer is natural. It's doable. Prayer, actually, it's a vital sign. It's as natural as breathing. When we come to pray... We're not coming as we would to an examination. And I think sometimes we can feel a little bit like this. I'm coming to pray and it's almost like when you go into an examination hall. It might be a long time since some of us have done this. Some of it's for you, it's much more relevant at the moment. You go into an examination hall and you sit down for an exam and you, you've got to get it right. So you've got to do it in the time allocated. You've got to finish the list of questions you've got to get through and you've got to pay attention and you've got to sit there quietly and just focus. And we can feel like that when we come to prayer. It's like coming to an examination. No, no, no. Coming to prayer is coming to our Father to be with him, to seek him. God wants us to seek him. That's why he made us, that we might be in relationship with him. Some reality checks. Prayer can be difficult. Prayer is about grace. Prayerlessness is its own punishment and God does want us to seek him. Some we finish just a couple of practical tips for you first thing i think is just to be honest where are you at in this and where would you like to be speaking on prayer kind of forces the issue you have to think oh honestly what is my prayer life like really how has it been this week how much time and intimacy have i spent with god really and it's good to do that it's good to be honest to look at ourselves and say how how am i doing and how is our church doing? What, what, is, what is the spiritual temperature like in our lives in terms of seeking God and pursuing Him and our heart's desire for Him? And where would we like to be? Where would I like to be in terms of my relationship with my Father in Heaven? Where would we like to be as a church community in terms of our closeness to God? It can be good to set yourself some goals. There might be things that you discuss with your G1Cs and your 3s might be that in your threes you want to get together and talk about this. Well, how am I really doing? How are we really doing? What's our spiritual temperature like? What's our intimacy with God like? What can we, what, what can we aim for in terms of growing in this? One thing that I think is really helpful and we've, we've done it already this morning is, is praying out loud together. It can feel really odd if you're not used to doing that. If you're you're new to faith or if you're new to this kind of church and you come to a, a Sunday meeting or to a prayer meeting to a or a G1C meeting and somebody says, let's all pray together. I think, well, that's, that's, that's weird. Everybody going, raw, 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 together, so it's odd. But there is, there's power in it. So, there's biblical... Like, Example, we find places in the Bible where we see believers calling out to God together, lifting their voices together, speaking out prayers and praises and requests to God. So there's biblical precedent for it. So it's not weird. It's actually in the scriptures, and we, it's good to do what the scriptures instruct us to do. But it also really helps us when you are standing in a crowd and calling out to God together. Certainly for me, I find it helps me to pray more. So I can kind of tune into somebody else's prayer. If I'm struggling a little bit, I can tune into a little bit to what somebody else is praying. And I can kind of get in the back of their prayers and start to pray like they're praying or praying what they're praying. And that can help me to then start praying. And also many of us don't naturally find it easy to speak out loud. We don't, actually in Western culture, we, don't, we do it in conversation. But most, a lot of things we do, we do it in our heads, which is weird compared to how most people in most of the world have lived and most of time. So when we read, we tend to read in our heads silently. The only time we tend to read out loud is if we've got small kids and we're reading stories to them. But the rest of the time we read, read silently in our heads or so we watch TV or watch movies and we are not speaking, sometimes I shout at the news, but generally we're watching silently and receiving. And We have so much going on inside our brains, which is verbal but not spoken. And there's a power to a word which is spoken. And we know that because we can think things, but it's when we speak them that stuff happens. So we can think about someone, I love you. But we all know that it doesn't really count for much until it's articulated and we express it. Or when I'm walking my dogs, I can think, come back here, dog. But the dog will not do it until I say, come back here, dog. And then it comes, or hopefully. The spoken word has power. And when we pray, there's a power. When we speak out our prayers, there's a power. and it can be very helpful to do that together. It helps us to get over our kind of our, our reticence about speaking out loud because everybody else is, and it just makes it easier. It can it gets rid of some of our inhibitions. And there is a power about corporate prayer that when the church of God is gathered and together we're calling out to God, God is present by His Spirit, and it's a kind of power that is released amongst us. There's an authority that is released amongst us. So I'd encourage you to pray to pray out loud. You can do it on your own. Pray out loud. I pray in my head, but I know actually my prayers feel more alive, more real, more powerful when I actually speak them out loud. Even when I'm on my own, to speak out loud and together to pray out loud. And so I'd encourage you to pray together when you are together. Understand that you have prayer meetings once a month. Come to the prayer meetings. Pray in your G1Cs. Pray together in your three Cs. Pray together. And I pray much better when I pray with others. I'm a church leader. I am meant to pray. I believe in intimacy with God. I understand that God is my Father. I understand that He's made me for relationship with Him. I understand that prayer is natural and good and doable. It's like breathing. But I don't always find it easy. I find it much easier to pray when I'm praying with others. And also I find that if I don't pray regularly with others, my whole kind of prayer temperature just sinks. It's praying with others which enables me to pray on my own. It's true of so much of the Christian life. We tend to think what we do on our own should shape what happens when we're together. No, it works the other way completely. It's what we do together which shapes what we do when we're on our own. And so if you want to pray effectively on your own, you need to get together and pray with other people because that's how it works. Praying together helps us, it encourages us, it builds us up, it brings us into God's presence. I pray much better when I'm with others. In Paul, we have a leadership team get together on Friday mornings at seven to pray. And especially this time of year, it's always a schlep to get that. I don't want to get up and go and have to go through the dark and the rain to church office at seven o'clock in the morning to pray, but it's almost always kind of the highlight of my week to be with the guys there and pray. It makes a massive difference to my spiritual life, my sense of intimacy with God, my understanding of his fathering of me. And so let prayer soak into all your corporate life. I don't really know what your corporate prayer life is like. I don't know what your prayer life is like in your small groups and in your prayer meetings. But my encouragement would be, let it soak into your corporate life. Let prayer be something which happens whenever you're gathered in some way in which you enter into enthusiastically and with faith. Bible teacher Michael Eaton says, the best way to learn to pray is to pray. And then pray and pray. I think he's right. The best way to learn to pray is just pray and keep on praying. Now, finally, some out of those tips and applications, just some encouragements to you. Prayer is about grace. The only way that we can pray, the only way we can know God, is a work of His grace. It might be that you're here this morning. You, you don't. You're not a follower of Jesus. It might be you think, H- how am I? how can I get to know Jesus if he's real how can I the only way you can know it is by his grace by his free gift by him doing something in you In the end, it's not about what you bring to him it's about what he gives to you so it doesn't matter where you come from it doesn't matter if you're a very respectable successful decent person or whether you're kind of you feel like you're somebody who's right at the bottom of the pile what counts is God's grace to us it's receiving God's grace you receive a gift from him which is he makes himself known to you and offers you life and intimacy and presence with his father in heaven and so because prayer is a gift of god's grace prayer isn't something to beat ourselves up about it's easy to do we have a day or a week goes by and we haven't really prayed very much and we can start to condemn ourselves i'm hopeless i'm i'm a useless christian matt said we need to be praying it should be natural it should be easy and it's what God made us for, and I haven't done it at all for the last three, four, five days. I'm I'm a failure of a Christian, and condemnation comes in. What we need to do is respond again to God's grace. No, thank you, Jesus. The only reason I can pray is because of your grace at work in me. So if you feel condemned, even maybe what I've said today, you felt, oh no. Oh, I'm not very good at this. The message for you is God's grace. Yes. Don't be condemned about your prayerlessness instead receive God's grace which means that you can come into his presence and pray again be encouraged it might be that you're very disappointed with your prayer life it might be you think my prayer life is rubbish and it's really hard for me to see how it's worked and how it's effective and it seems to me that those difficulties about prayer outweigh all the other stuff be encouraged God wants you to know him he wants you to seek him and sometimes that's hard and it's gritty, but God wants you to come into his presence. God loves you. His grace is at work in you. And for all of us, let's respond to the gospel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, that in him is life, by his grace at work in us. It might be that you've never responded to Jesus. There's an invitation to you today that you can. You can come to Jesus and say, Jesus, if you're real, if this is true, let me, I don't even understand what this grace thing really means, but I want it. I want, to, I want to know what this relationship... If God is there, I want to know. Ask him. He's gracious. He'll meet with you. And for those of us who do know Jesus, if, like me, you've known Jesus since you were five, or maybe it's much later in life, let's respond to the gospel of God again. This is life. God has called us to walk with him, be in fellowship with him, to know him, for this to be a vital sign that we're connected to God. We seek him. We call on his name And know His presence at work in us. Amen. Should we pray? For more information, visit our website at godfirst.org.uk.